Dan reciprocates. I love it. Uh, so for y'all that don't know me from, uh, from Dave's brief intro before this, uh, my name is Riley. Uh, I've gone to TBC for my entire life uh, until I left for college uh, like five years ago, I think. They, they all start to run together. Um, but uh, I've come back uh, due to COVID reasons, obviously. And so I've been serving with the sophomore guys over there for probably about, I think over about like half a year now. Uh, yeah. So it's been really great, and I've loved really getting to get plugged back into serving with the youth ministry. Um, oh, no. I, hang on. I forgot something. Oh. Yep. I knew it was going to happen. No, it's a little, it's a little mouse. Uh, i got to be able to scroll through my notes without looking awkward. Um, it's not on. This is all already falling apart. Oh, man. Oh, man. There we go. All right, we're back on track. Uh, so this is uh, also my first time teaching a full sermon like this on a Sunday, uh, which is really exciting, but also slightly terrifying. Uh, but I have given a quick message uh, on a Wednesday night, uh, and there I learned a really valuable lesson, and that's that the sophomore guys will grab onto any tiny analogy or reference that I make, and they will bombard me with it for months on end with like really dumb jokes and memes all the time. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to keep from making any dumb references and looking stupid up here. Does that sound good? Awesome. Great. I love it. Uh, so flat earth theory. Um, <laughs> trust me, it's going somewhere. Uh, so I think most of us know about this idea that people have, that, uh, that some people have, that the earth is not actually a sphere, but it's actually a flat planet that one can eventually walk and fall off of. Uh, so most of us, hopefully, uh, know that this is really preposterous, but it turns out there are actually even crazier ideas out there. Uh, there's this story of Bertrand Russell. He was this uh, philosopher from like the 18 and 1900s, and he was giving a talk on his view of the cosmos and Earth's place in it. And uh, at the end of this, apparently this old lady stood up and she publicly repudiated the idea that Earth is a sphere revolving around the sun. What she said is that the Earth is actually flat, and it's resting on the back of a giant turtle. <laughs> uh, yeah, I told you there are crazier ideas. Uh, Russell apparently asked this woman, so if, if that's the case, what exactly is the turtle resting on? To which this old lady like, quickly replied, young man, it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> turtles all the way down, just like, an infinite array of turtles expanding into the cosmos. Uh, so despite how baffling this theory is, you kind of got to admire her confidence. Uh, but I want to take this idea of turtles resting on turtles, resting on turtles ad infinitum, uh, and apply it to God's grace. I promise this is going somewhere. Because God's grace is the same as the idea of those turtles. It goes all the way down and it rests on itself. Because God's grace goes down to the pit that we've dug for ourselves and we can't climb out of. It goes down to our deepest, darkest sins. And it goes down to touch our pain and weakness and uselessness and restore us to glory and sanctification in him. Let me pray before uh, I jump into this. Uh, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to come together uh, in this way that we've longed for for so long. 
uh, and to be able to see each other's faces. A lot of us probably for the first time. Um, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and to worship you and to learn more about you. Uh, I pray for myself that I can step out of the way uh, and that you can use me to share even an ounce of your wisdom with everyone here today um, and that we can come to understand your grace a little more fully. Uh, I thank you for all your blessings and I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let me get some water because I know my mouth is going to be getting dry this entire time. So if you have your Bibles uh, and would like to read along and take notes, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10. Uh, that's where we're mostly going to be reading from today. But first, I want to take a look at this idea of God's grace going all the way down and what exactly it means for us. And I also want to say that I'm going to be kind of using that term in tandem with two different ideas. Um, I'm going to be using it with the idea that God's grace goes down to our sins and can pull us out of whatever hole that we're in. But I also want to use it in the idea of the... Um, of like the turtles, of how God's grace rests on his grace and that there's nothing below that. So touching on that idea, what exactly that means for us is that we get no credit for anything. Our, our, our dependence on God is all or nothing. Uh, so Ephesians 2, wait, what? How'd that get up there? Oh, oh no, I just typed in the wrong, oh, yeah, that's wrong. Don't pay attention to, to what verse that says that is. It's not. That's actually Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, um, and it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we've been discussing this idea um, a ton on Wednesdays in our study through Ephesians. We actually just wrapped it up this past week, uh, but we are starting uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John this week. So if you're interested, come out. You should. Wednesday nights, Creekside Building, 6.30, shameless plug. Okay, back to what I'm saying. Uh, we've been talking about this idea that's permeating all throughout Ephesians, uh, that our salvation and ultimate sanctification isn't through any power of our own. It's completely from God. Even in these two verses, it emphasizes this idea twice. He says, this is not by your own doing and not as a result of works. God's grace doesn't rest on our works or goodness or anything that we do. God's grace simply rests on his grace. Jared Wilson puts it this way. If our standing with him rests even an ounce on our works, we are utterly and hopelessly lost. No, it must be grace all the way down. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we can't bring anything of value to it. Christ brings all of himself, his glory, his love, his power, and we bring our empty, sinful selves to be rescued. We bring whatever pit that we've dug ourselves into, and Jesus brings his rope to slowly but surely pull us out. So, before we look at 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10, um, we have to look at what's come before to kind of understand some of the context of his words, of what he's talking about. Um, so we know that Paul suffered for the gospel throughout all of his ministry and just the majority of his Christian life. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33, he's been boasting in his sufferings and how he's been seen as foolish for the sake of the gospel. Um, a quick review of some of the sufferings that he's listed. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. That's uh, 11, 24 through 25. And in 11, 28, he says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So I don't know about you guys, but I probably would have called it a day after like, the, after like the second shipwreck, you know? Like, like okay, one shipwreck, yeah, all right, things happen. Two, no, I, I'm done. I, I think I'm out of there. But, and, and like, I dealt with enough anxiety just putting together this one sermon. I can't imagine the kind of pressure and uh, stress that Paul was feeling planting the early church back then. But Paul is so all in for the gospel He's so hooked and redeemed on God's grace that he embraces these sufferings and he gladly endures them for the sake of Christ. He knows that none of this rests on his power or ability, but only on God's grace, which we can have full and complete confidence in. So that is where we find Paul in chapter 12. I told you we would get there. So Paul says, But on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, Paul begins this section with a sort of jab at some of these kind of false apostles that were in the Corinthian church at the time. Um, back in chapter 11, verse 5, he actually refers to them as super apostles. Uh, these are some people in the Corinthian church that were, like, really fantastic speakers, and they seemed to possess a ton of knowledge about all sorts of different topics, and they were constantly boasting about their missions and the various things that they'd accomplished. Paul warns the Corinthians about these people. He says, And what I am doing, I will continue to do, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So Paul says that he would not be a fool if he wished to boast, which is absolutely correct. I mean, he, we know he's done some incredible things throughout his time of ministry, including, but not limited to, um, being broken out of prison by an act of God in Acts 16, verses 25 through 26. He's raised someone from the dead Acts 20, verses 9 through 12, and he's defended himself and the gospel on multiple occasions before some of the highest powers of his time, and he's brought so many to Christ and played a pivotal role in building the early church every step of the way. So when Paul says he could boast if he wanted to, he's not kidding. Compared to those, like, super apostles in Corinth, Paul's resume is stacked. But he would rather boast in his weakness and pain. Now, I, I do want to clarify, when Paul says boast in weakness, he's not saying to throw a pity party or to be a Debbie Downer all the time. He's not saying to be the guy at a party that's constantly like, oh man, my life's so hard. Do you want to hear about this thing that I'm struggling with? 
oh, man, I, I just can't, I can't do it alone, all this kind of stuff. Nobody wants to hang out with that guy, okay? There, I, I'm, the, there is certainly a place to share struggles and, um, and to, to bear one another's burdens in community with close friends, but just being that person all the time around everybody is not what Paul's saying. Jared Wilson puts it this way. Boasting in weakness simply means owning up to the reality that if it were not for Jesus Christ, everything about us would blow apart in the gale force hurricane of our own sin and frailty. So Paul would rather emphasize his shortcomings than highlight his successes. Why? Because Paul knew that he himself was nothing. He knew he could do nothing in his own power because he was weak. He describes himself in 1 Timothy uh, 1.15 as the chief of sinners. Yet despite this, Christ reached out to him with his boundless grace, and Paul knew that all he could do was rest on it because his grace is all-sufficient. So on the topic of his weaknesses, Paul speaks of this, this thorn that was given to him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what exactly this thorn is, but the, the three main theories are it's some kind of physical illness, um, it's some kind of psychological problem, like, a, like chronic anxiety or depression, or it's some form of opposition against Paul and his ministry. So we don't know what specifically this thorn is, but what we do know is that it's really painful to Paul. I, I know when he says the word thorn, it sounds pretty measly to us. It doesn't really sound that bad. Like, okay, uh, a splinter can be annoying for like a couple of hours, but it's not that bad. But if you look at the Greek word that Paul uses here, he uses the word scallops. Um, not scallops, scallops. And it translates to a wooden stake, which I, I, I know I would call pretty painful. Now, I do have to say on the topic of this section of Paul speaking about his pain and his, his suffering, I'm really grateful that Paul included this in his letter because I don't know about some of y'all, but I often have a really hard time relating to some of the Christians of the early church. And I find it really hard to see myself in Paul, uh, like ministering to people all over Europe. I find it really hard to see myself in Peter performing miracles in the name of God. I find it hard to see myself in Stephen laying his life down for the church and being stoned to death. But I can see myself printed all over this text in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. For all, <laughs> So I'm sure all of us can see ourselves here, pleading God for freedom from some affliction, freedom, freedom from depression, freedom from lust, freedom from addiction, freedom from anxiety, from him, from her, from them, from us. We have all prayed that prayer of brokenness before God, pleading for deliverance. But as we continue on, we see that God's grace goes all the way down even to our afflictions. See, when you're carrying a burden, there are, there are two ways to find relief. You can either remove the burden, or you can strengthen the shoulders that are carrying them. In Paul's situation, we see that God does the latter. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, when Paul says sufficient here, he doesn't just mean good enough. I, I, I know most of us have probably seen people like driving with stuff perilously stacked on top of their car or their trailer, and the whole thing's like blowing around like a Jenga tower while they're doing like 75 miles down the freeway, and the whole thing is tied together with like maybe two bungee cords. <laughs> like that person definitely looked at that monstrosity they, that they built and said, yeah, that's sufficient. <laughs> when Paul says sufficient here, he means that God's grace is all that we need, that it's more than enough. Because when we understand how incredibly, incredibly deep God's grace is, we see how weak and feeble we are. We can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. Because I don't know about you guys, but I am a really stubborn person. <laughs> I mean, I, I will refuse to accept any help from people until it's completely 100% clear to me that I cannot get it done by myself. Because I, I mean, if I'm bringing in groceries, I will break every single one of my fingers trying to get everything in in one trip before I let somebody else try and take something. <laughs> but we won't see that God's grace is sufficient until we see ourselves as insufficient. And until we do, we're going to experience these thorns in our life cursing us rather than blessing us and showing God's power. If you continually resist God's grace and refuse to set your focus on Jesus, your pain is going to be just that. This giant stake in your side that's continually causing you pain and suffering. Because there's nothing we can rest on for God's freedom. There's nothing we can rest on for freedom from those thorns except for God's grace. So how exactly does God's grace strengthen us? How, how do we know that it's all sufficient? Because it's how we were saved in the first place. I mean, just like we saw in Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace through faith. In our times of weakness and fear and struggle, when we feel like we can't stand or resist anymore, we can take comfort in the fact that our Savior came down and experienced the exact same things that we are experiencing. And he already won the battle. He saved, us he saved us by his grace and restored us to glory. So we can be strengthened by the fact that we know he's already saved us. And we can be reminded to take our focus off of our present circumstances and our present pain and suffering and fix it onto him. Because God's grace goes down to our weakness and pain, and it restores us to strength. In fact, God wants our weakness. Because he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. I mean, we, we see this all throughout the Bible. God, God, taking, God taking those with these glaring weaknesses, and he uses them to show his strength. So God wants to take your weakness and give you the strength to endure and even be glad in trials, because that is how you will best show his glory. John Piper puts it this way. The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief 
but the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of the greatest purpose of God in the universe, the glorification of the grace and power of his son, the grace and power that bore him to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. That's the point of our weakness, to showcase God's powerful grace. And knowing this fact enables Paul to boast in his weakness because he knows that the weaker he is, the more Christ's power is going to be shown. Because, because of that, Paul can be content in all circumstances, weakness, hardship, persecution, pain, suffering, calamities, because he knows that when he accepts his weakness, then God offers his endless grace and makes him strong. God's grace is never-ending, sufficient, and always available to us. God's grace goes, down, goes all the way down to wherever we need it, and it will always be more than enough because it's all that we are resting on in the first place. So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, you guys will split up and have some discussion. Father God, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for your grace, for the power that you give us to be content in all circumstances. Um, I pray that we can understand you more fully and the gift that you've given us, and that we can boast in our weakness and accept it and trust in you to show your power through it. Um, I pray for all these students and all these leaders uh, and that we can have some, some really great, some deep discussion uh, discussing your word. Uh, I thank you for all your blessings, and I pray all these things in your name. Amen.